Welcome to Fan Fuel. This is episode two of our podcast. My name's Alex Harrington, and I'm with my co-host, Nathan Ball. You've heard our names before. You've seen our Twitter handles, but most likely you don't know exactly who we are. Well, episode two is all about getting to know us. So, Nathan, if you wouldn't mind starting, who are you? First of all, I'm 18 years old from Clearwater Beach, Florida. I'm a college freshman at UCF and currently studying biology. If everything goes to plan, that's going to be my major. And then what I'm going to do with that degree hasn't really been decided yet. But I know for sure that my long-term goal is to do something in the medical field, um, which is why um, why my education's kind of leaning the pre-med path. Um, the goal right now would be a specialty along the lines, maybe radiology or dermatology, maybe maybe something a little more invasive like cardiology, but I don't really think I'm going to go down that route unless I change my mind, but I've got many years to make a decision so okay well um myself i'm a 25 year old i have a bachelor's in science for marine biology and i'm currently doing water treatment um being that we're both uh i guess bio majors uh what got you into biology and uh what what makes you happy about the subject well to be honest with you it's kind of a mixture um let's say you know, 50% of it is just me, you know, just my traits in general. I'm not really a math guy. I've never really been a writing guy. I've, I'm okay at writing. I'm not that great at math, but it seems like everything I've done in school, I'm good at science. So I figured, why not follow that route? Go do something that's in the science field and enjoy that, such as medicine, for example, because that leads into the next part of why I want to do medicine both my parents are uh, family practice physicians and I talked to them about wanting to get into medicine and they both recommended it for me, which was to my surprise because I know how hard it was to get through all the schooling and everything. So I feel like having, having parents who've gone through the process before sort of tells me what to expect and they can recommend things for me and have advice that I normally wouldn't get anywhere else. And they told me so much about the field in general that made me want to get into it even more besides just that. I don't really have a skill set for, you know, engineering or mathematics or whatever that would go along the lines of racing. So I figured why not just go do something completely out of the ordinary, like biology degree and keep racing as a hobby. So that's, that's sort of the story of why, uh, why I'm going down this path. That's really, really cool. I mean, you know, being in the medical field, you're obviously going to help people and stuff like that. Yeah, I um, really enjoy that. Yeah. Um, myself, uh, along the same lines, why I went to school for marine biology is basically just I love animals. And mm -hmm. I particularly, you know, always loved watching the documentaries with with fish or sharks or rays yeah. or octopus or whatever. So that's why I did what I did. You know, that's interesting you say that because actually my dad is really, really big into deep sea fishing. And he's had, uh, he's had a couple of saltwater tanks when I was growing up where he'd have all sorts of exotic species of fish. And 
we've always sort of been the same way. We've had a passion for fish. I don't really fish much myself anymore, but he still does. Um, he's really, really big into water. Or not water, but I don't know. It sounds so bad, but I guess he's really big into what you're mentioning, like marine life. And it's really interesting to me. I thought about wanting to do that when I was old too, so. Oh, yeah, the ocean is a beautiful thing. And, you yeah, know, not no, even, it really is. Yeah, not even just that. I mean, you've got intercoastal areas. You've got yeah. the base of plain. You've got freshwater stuff. you got, you know, so much to, to look at. And then um, basically from from there, um, when I graduated, I really couldn't find any jobs near me kind of being landlocked where I am. Um, so I went into the water treatment side of things and so right now I'm, I'm currently uh still a trainee but i'm 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 gonna hopefully get an operator's license sooner than later so that i can make purified drinking water for my community community um so still working with water not quite with fish um but i mean it's still still water so yeah and and much like you it helps a lot of people out uh always mm -hmm pride myself on well we're the first line of defense when it comes to anything so um you know if our if our tap water is not safe i'm gonna basically make people who are confident that the water coming out of their tap is clean sick so i guess moving on a little bit for myself from that um i kind of loved when i was in college talking about different behavioral um you know ecology uh for animals and then eventually that led into a passion for evolution and stuff like that so mm -hmm. you going into the medical field do you have some sort of passion for humans like that or are you just you just you know you just want to help people well it's kind of both i think helping people is just a benefit but i've always enjoyed um i've always enjoyed learning about the human body um whether it's, you know, just whether it's just reading an anatomy book or actually learning things like in depth, I think there was a book probably five or six years ago that I read when I was in middle school that was by a neurosurgeon in F1 named Sid Watkins. And he talked about the parallels that he experienced when he was working in medicine and in racing. And he talked about, you know, getting to work at, in the medical car for decades on end and it's very interesting to hear him talk about you know the safety of the sport he talked about getting to help the drivers he even saved more than a few lives and i thought that you know, this is really interesting you know it tied in what i like with um with what i want to do for a living so now it's kind of evolved and my skill set i'm really good at analyzing things whether it's looking at a picture and you know, determine a probable cause. So I feel like radiology is an ideal specialty because pretty much all of it besides the procedures is analyzing things and interpreting things. So I'm hoping that's what I do for a living, but there's no guarantees with how difficult it is to get there. Yeah, and I, who knows, maybe you could look up and be someone like uh, Dr. Jerry Punch, who was a medical yeah. doctor and then wound up being an ESPN analyst and one of the best at that. So it's really cool that we both have somewhat similar passions when it comes to biology, but we also have really 
hard, passionate feelings when it comes to motorsports and racing in general. Yeah. So that's what we're all here for. <laughs> yeah. So that's what fan fuel is about. So, um, I mean, what is the significance of racing in your life? Why do you like it? Where did your love from racing come from? Well, I guess to be honest, my dad always liked cars to an extent. And that kind of transferred to me because when I was a little kid in preschool, I was a kid playing with cars and trucks all the time. And, you know, I had a bunch of Hot Wheels and whatnot. And then I turned into remote control cars. And, you know, then I turned into you know, having a little electric dirt bike. And once I got past the infancy stages of my life, I still liked it. And, you know, I started like, racing video games and whatnot. And it never really died down. So I figured, why not learn more about the sport itself? So I got, I started watching races when I was really, really little, probably like, I wouldn't say really little, but eight or nine. And that's when it started. I F1 races, IndyCar, NASCAR. And that was about the time when I started to understand what was going on for the first time. And then from there, it's never really been the same. Like I, it's been an obsession ever since then. So, I mean, I mean, do you have any similar stories or were you kind of in it? Were you in it for family reasons? Were you in it just for pure interest? I mean, what was it? Well, uh, I guess it's kind of a third generational family thing. Um, so my dad's dad and his uncle got him into racing. Um, and that led uh, into my, I guess that would be my great uncle. He he was a race car driver at uh, the local racetrack, which is Troop County Speedway at the time. Um, that's closed, uh, like most racetracks sadly have. Um, and then once he got off the track, he went to the flag stand. And from there, he taught my dad how to flag at the age of eight. Um, and then my dad started to do that on and off during his life with uh, my great uncle. And then he picked it up up around 2001 2002 after he had been taking photographs at races um from the short track level all the way up to uh, the cup level for the local newspaper well he picked up uh flagging and he started doing that and about around the time that i turned 12 i got to go and be on the flag stand with them. So for me, racing has always been a part of my life. Um, I went to my first race. I was, you know, four or five months old, and it was an Xfinity race at, at Talladega. Of course, I don't remember that. I was just told that that's how that happened. So for me, it's just kind of always been there, and it led to a just throbbing need and necessity um, to have, you know, that smell in my nose of, you know, rubber oil. And then in my case, dirt, um, and, and those engines and feeling, you know, the horsepower through the cars, you know, coming up through, you know, whether it be the flag stand or the, or, or the, um, you know, stands that I was sitting in, you know, so it's just kind of always been there for me. It's, it's as much of my personality as, you know, my favorite color is. Right, and I definitely agree with you on that part. I think the flagging things in particular is really unique because I didn't, I never thought about how marshalling or officiating was a family tradition as well because I see the corner workers, the tracks, and I always wonder, like, what 
you know, what, what got them into it and why are they still hooked on it? Yeah, no, for me, um, the, basically it's just the adrenaline. It's kind of like an addiction, you know, you get up there and you feel them, especially when you're on the flag stand and it's a feature event. You've got 24 to 28 super late models coming straight at you and they hit the loud pedal. And uh, for me, something my dad uh, taught me was how to wave double flags. So I always do double green and double checkers um, for the feature events and just flipping the light switch and just going hard and having, you know, 800 plus horsepower engines come at you. It's just, there's, there's no other feeling like it. So for me, it's just, it's just a drug. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of the reason why we get into racing. You don't really, you can't quit it once you start. So. Definitely. So, I mean, for me, you know, I officiate, I've got plenty more to talk about, I guess, through today's episode about that. But for you, I know you do a little bit of racing yourself. So I know that the family stuff got you into racing, but how did your love for racing get you into actually driving? Well, I guess, um, I guess it's a kind of a cliche story. I guess it's cliche, but I never, uh, you know, I never grew up in a family that had the logistical means um, to run a cart of their own. But I know that I went to a rental karting track when I was maybe third or fourth grade. And I got in a rental cart and I really loved it. And it was an indoor track and I was, you know, I was winning and whatever. And I didn't really care that I was winning or losing. I just loved doing it. And I kept going back to that track for years and years and years. And I realized like, you know, I want to, I want to do this more often. I, if I could do this every week, I would love it. And that's when I was probably 11 or 12. My dad started looking into like getting me into a quarter midget or a go-kart of some sort. And, you know, logistically it didn't work out because I, you know, I live on the beach and, you know, it's a two-car garage. I don't have space for, I don't have space for a trailer. I don't necessarily have space to, to work on a cart or anything in my garage and I don't necessarily feel like expending all these resources and money to have a mechanic or whatever. So I kept it with the rental parts for a long enough time to where a few years ago, I got way back into it even more than I was before to where I realized, look, I, I started doing this again. I really like it. And now I want to make a hobby out of it. And obviously make up for what I didn't get to experience in my early childhood so I'm kind of a late bloomer in that aspect but it's still you know I'm still at the age where I can learn a lot of the fundamentals to track driving and make a hobby out of it I don't really care whether I'm actually racing or whether or not I'm just doing track days whatever it is is going to be enjoyable for me oh definitely and I'm sure you get that same sort of adrenaline that I do on a flag stand behind the wheel yeah, it's really weird, I guess. I I guess that's sort of like evolved over time because I remember the first time I was in a rental car, I, 20 miles an hour felt like 100 for a, a little kid. So, And then I guess as time went on, I sort of I sort of began to be able to process things a little better, which is really surprising for me because I've always been the, the kid who I, I can't even, I can't ride a roller coaster. I mean, I, I really can't. Compared to 
being able to get in a car and drive, it's like, you would think that those things are the same, but I guess I never been able to explain it. It's just sort of like that sensation is completely different for me versus any other thing that's an adrenaline rush. I mean, I don't know what you feel like when you, when you do some of that stuff and we'll talk about it more on the back end of today's show. Um, but I know that you have uh, some of the similar ideas that I do about what racing is as a, I guess, sport or game. So do you mm-hmm. want to kind of expound upon that so that you and I can kind of go back and forth with it? Yeah, yeah, I guess I can explain a little more about why I'm trying to make a long-term hobby out of racing. Um, first of all, I think it, it gets you to know a lot of people that are like-minded because racing is not really uh, – a public thing in most towns unless you're in Charlotte or Indianapolis or whatever, but it, it, it gets you to know like-minded people, gets you connections. And on top of that, it's good for, um, it's good for a pastime. You know, if you're on a couch on a Sunday, you know, I don't really think there's anything better for me than watching racing. So that, you know, that's, that's two areas that are already, checked off and then third area would be if you if you want to race go-karts or something for a hobby it's it's fun from a competition standpoint if you like to have fun and compete with friends and everything it's also it's fun because it's physically and mentally challenging like it teaches you a lot of things that that can carry over to your daily life um i know for sure physical fitness was one of them because that's like I was really out of shape a few years ago and now at least it it's teaching me to to put more effort into things that I didn't really think about beforehand and same with the mental side of things um I've never really been um never really had the athlete mindset so just learning how to go about those things learning that racing is more of a mental game than it is physical at certain levels you know if you can if you have the mindset for that, then you can do anything. So it's just, it's a sport that seems to benefit me in every single area. Yeah. Well, there's definitely a mental aspect to it. And I think that's the biggest thing that I enjoy from watching on the sidelines, Mm -hmm. especially for cup and stuff like that, where obviously I'm nowhere near officiating it, but I would like to say, um, I don't know how you would feel from my point of view, but being either on the flag stand or, you know, I've done races from the tower where I'm calling races as a race director. Um, for me, I'm more in it for the fans at that point. So I'm trying to make the best show that I can. And I don't necessarily care who wins as long as what's happening on my track is safe and it mm-hmm. looks good. So for me, it's a different aspect when I you know back out a little bit from from a fan's perspective and try to see what NASCAR is doing on any given Sunday and I don't know you being someone who's more race minded how do you feel about different things in different scenarios where you could say that maybe NASCAR manipulates this or um, or maybe maybe topic or maybe you know different sort of strategies from other drivers point of views or their crews or stuff like that. You know, I don't know. It's kind of a broad area, but how do you feel about the overall race around you? If that makes any sense. Well, it depends on what level you're at, obviously. And I 
greatly respect what you said about making sure it's safe, making sure it's a good show, but also at the same time keeping pure from that standpoint. I think that that's something that all of racing needs. And I, I, at least from a fan's perspective, I feel like that's what's the frustrating thing about NASCAR. They're not always necessarily doing it to keep the fans excited or to to make sure the racing is um, proper. They're just doing it out of sake for TV. And I feel like they're doing things off their own will more than they are doing it for the love of the sport. And I think that's where you see some of the races where they've gone wrong, like say the race where Kurt Busch was come back from the suspension and they kept throwing debris cautions until he lost the lead. You know, you could see stuff like that and think that that type of thing probably wouldn't happen at a go-kart track, for example. And if I was driving at that level, it would probably drive me nuts. No, I mean, no pun intended, but I, I don't know how the drivers can handle that. You know, it, you know, knowing officiating things can get a little muddy at times if it, if they're not good officials. So I, at least from my perspective, that's one of the fun things about being at an amateur level is that you don't have to worry about that stuff. You're just driving for fun, and the race around you is never usually – too complex but then when you get to that level it's like you know you don't know the true motive of the official and it's like I don't I don't see how the drivers could see some of that stuff going on and not speak out oh yeah well I I can tell you from personal experience that the local level drivers will call you out on anything and everything even if they are wrong about what happened so (laughs) it's something that I've had to deal with I'm sure many officials across the U.S. have as well um, but you know, from a NASCAR point of view, I can kind of see some of the things that they're going to, they kind of have, you know, to keep themselves safe. And like you said, keep the TV partners happy. The only thing is mm-hmm. from a personal point of view, when I go into either the tower to be the race director, or I, you know, strap up everything and, and get on that flag stand my goal is to make sure that the fans have fun, the race is clean, and the race is safe. So I I get pretty staunch and I get pretty nasty because that track is going to be mine for the time that I'm running it, if that makes sense. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. excuse my language, I'm a hard ass. And so yeah. I know other people, I know other people, you know, you might have guys that play favorites and stuff like that. And, you know, that's where I think stuff like we can see that leaching into NASCAR with, yeah. you know, people with their conspiracy theories about the 2001 night race at Daytona and stuff like that. And Dale Jr. has always got, you know, the plate that's a little bit more open than everyone else so he can run faster. And that's how he won all his plate races. You know, I, I get it from a PR standpoint that, you know, Dale Jr. winning was good for the sport back then. But I also don't get it because I hold myself to such a high regard. I don't think that NASCAR does that on a weekly basis mm-hmm. enough because, you know, that that would just ruin my integrity if I were them. Yeah, I think that's, I guess that's sort of where the driver official divide comes from. It's like if I'm, I've never had officiating problems in a rental car race because usually the only thing officials do is, you know, wave the green flag wave some blue flags in case there's lap traffic and wave the checkered flag. So there's not really 
a lot going on since I've never, you know, I've never seen people get thrown out of races before, and I've never seen people argue with officials. So it's, but I know that it's touchy, and I I know that it happens at times. But if I was in that situation, I've always tried to keep discussion civil. I mean, I don't see a problem with the driver discussing discussing with an official as long as they're not, you know, like, you know, saying, "Hey, look, you know, are you blind and whatnot." <laughs> Because I feel like the more they do that, the more they're digging a hole for themselves. Yeah, and uh, I've seen plenty of people thrown out of the track either because, you know, wives are fighting in the infield. They fight after the race in the infield. And then there was one guy that I remember I was 15 years old that uh, decided he was going to stop on the front straightaway. And he revved his engine and went as hard as he could in the about, I, I don't know how wide the track was, maybe 110 feet that he could uh, get to the flag stand um, and he rammed in the flag stand and almost threw my dad off the flag stand. And, and it is that kind of stuff where, you know, passion can lead to some pretty nasty outcomes. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, that's what the officials are there for. That's why we have mm -hmm. sheriffs and police officers there. Um, and that's why, you know, once you get to a professional um, place like NASCAR, you you see fights. You see the Clint Boyer, you know, Jeff Gordon or Clint Boyer um, Newman fight or Jeff Gordon and Keselowski, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you see the passion come out, but it's at a much, I guess, calmer state. I'll say that I agree with that. I think passion is good to an extent, but once it starts to really interfere with what your goal is as a competitor that's when it's a real problem and i think you know I, I friends always tease me on twitter they're like you know why are you so concerned about you know the driver's psychological outlooks and it's like well stuff like that is why and it, you think about it, it's like some of these drivers you see they lose control of their emotions and whatnot and they they don't see things from a bigger picture they don't they don't have that restraint in them to to say, you know, I need to, you know, this might be a, a bogus officiating call, but I gotta, I gotta do whatever I can to salvage my own race on top of that, and then make sure whatever discussion that goes on with the official afterwards is civil. And I guess that's part of where I've, I sort of, I mean, I understand the passion; it's always been there for me, but I guess it only changed once I started to, to learn what it's like to drive. And it's, I guess it's different for everyone, but I've always kind of been the level-headed guy unless something's way out of hand. Yeah. And surprisingly, my dad, he's been a level-headed guy, I guess, just because he has so many more years of experience on me. Uh, but even the few things that I've had to deal with in my short tenure as as doing either flagging or um officiating from the tower i'm i'm kind of glad that currently life has kind of gotten into the into the way of 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 me having the time to actually go and and do that kind of stuff on the weekends because yeah it's fun but sometimes the repercussions can be a little bit serious if i'm not if I'm not too careful because I am kind of a hothead and I am kind of staunch in, in, in those situations. But I think, you know, continuing on the subject of 
passion, since that's why we're here, um, our passion for motorsports, um, that obviously leads us to on-track action. Um, so we're going to go watch races because we're passionate about the sport. And luckily, you and I have had plenty of times to go see races in action live. I wanted to ask you, what are some of the greatest races that you have seen in person? Oh, man, this is a, this is a big question because obviously going to Daytona as a super speedway, there's no shortage of good racing and all the action you want as a fan, whether it be, you know, photo finishes or pack racing or, you know, all sorts of things. It seems like it, it fulfills every need. And with that being said, there are some races that stand out to me. I would probably say the 2018 Xfinity race at Daytona in February was probably the best racing I've seen at Daytona from the stands in terms of product. Um, there were a few cup drivers in that race, um, like Larson. I'm not sure if it was Kazowski or Logano was in the 22. Elliot was in one of the JRM cars, and I want to say there were a few more cup drivers, but it seemed like the cup drivers at the front were really, they were racing like they had nothing to lose. There was, I've never seen a race where they were side drafting, they were going for the lead every single lap at the front, and I guess I'm not usually someone who's a fan of the cup guys in the lower series, but I could definitely tell that them being there made a huge difference in how that race went. And then even once that inevitably led to a wreck that got all the cup guys taken out, they still raced like that. And they had, I mean, it got a little excessive at the end because there were five green white checker attempts, but the finish was definitely worthwhile. It was the closest finish in NASCAR history um, with Tyler Reddick winning. So all in all, I would say that's my best experience in terms of the product of the race. So what about you? I was at Carl Edwards' first win. Um, we were on the back straightaway, so we didn't really see much of that photo finish with Jimmy and um, himself. But I could barely see him do the backflip from where we were sitting. So that was pretty cool. Uh, I was a lot younger, so I don't actually remember most of that. Um, you know, when it comes to nascar i think my greatest race that i saw maybe not from a racing standpoint but just because it was my favorite driver seeing denny hamlin win the epicare 500 was one of the you know greatest things i've experienced um mm -hmm. and then of course the last couple of spring talladega races have been just off the charts when it comes to action um and i've I've watched both of those from the stands, except for, you know, when the rain out happened. Um, but my favorite um, was probably, I want to say it was 2012. Um, it was at East Alabama Motor Speedway, which is a half mile high banked clay oval that does not have walls except for the front straightaway. Um, it was a national 100. It was the biggest race. My dad was on the flag stand. Um, this was before I got to actually do big shows. I was usually just doing weekly shows at this point. And a driver by the name of Chris Madden, maybe some of you guys that are listening know, know of him. Uh, he came in late uh, on the weekend and then had to start from the back of the, of the pack. He made it through the B main 
Um, and then he drove from the back of the A-Main, and in 100 laps, he drove from the back to the front and lapped almost half the field, and it was probably the greatest thing I've seen um, in racing so far. Okay, and I guess I'll add on to that in terms of experience. Um, I've only seen my favorite driver win in person one time, and that was a 2019 Daytona 500. That was probably the best single day I've had at a racetrack in forever. Because you think about it, the weather was perfect. The seats were great. Um, there was not a hint of rain or anything wrong with the weather. I mean, it was 65, 70 degrees the entire day. The race started between three and four. Um, one of the cooler things I remember was seeing the sunset over the track. It's something I've always liked seeing. And then the race ending at night was awesome as well. Um, the product on the track was also good because I remember the days leading up to that, everyone was saying, you know, this race is going to be horrible. And after the duels were pretty bad, the extended race the day before was pretty bad. Everything pointed to a bad race. And in that race just exceeded every expectation from a fan standpoint. And then, then having my favorite driver break a wingless drought and pretty much have the turning point of his career was, that was amazing. Not to mention, I mean, not to mention the whole day itself was perfect. Yeah. I, I remember that day vividly um, as a Denny Hamlin fan, of course. So I couldn't imagine being there live. Um, I have mm -hmm. seen him one again, you know, and fall in Talladega this past year. But you know what? That that win really didn't fulfill me, you know, at all. So I don't know why. I think it was maybe I was rooting for the 21. I don't really remember why. But, you know, I hope that you and I both get to experience him winning again live in person. Yeah, and I don't really only super speedways. I know that the probability of seeing him ever win another race is very low. And even though he's a great super speedway driver, I just think that statistically the odds of senior driver win one of those races really slim just because of the attrition and knowing that the attrition can go any way, whether it's in your driver's favor or it's not. So again, I don't expect it to ever happen to me again before he retires, but I hope it does because the first time was so surreal, I guess, to the point where, you know, I got to look at pictures and video to remind myself that it even, that I got to remind myself it wasn't a dream. Because I was so dumbfounded that I kind of just sat there with my mouth open. Oh, yeah. I can definitely attest to that feeling. The first time that uh, I got to meet Denny Hamlin, I was in the same sort of vein. Um, I was starstruck, which is kind of funny because at that point I had met plenty of NASCAR drivers. I have met plenty of drivers for, you know, National Series dirt racing. I had met, you know crew guys and and crew chiefs and stuff but for some reason i just got starstruck when i when i met denny and you know i always forget a little bit like you said that that happened but i'm glad i've got a picture of a selfie with him from that day yeah i've got um, a couple stories about that too i've met him twice i think in one weekend in 2018 i didn't really get to say much to him but I guess I've had that same sensation on the inside. I mean, I was like, you're starstruck at first, but, you know, just, I, my main focus is just coming off as a normal person and not some lunatic fan. 
Um, so I've, I've met many people in racing and I've sort of, I've sort of been neutral every time just so I don't come off as a fanboy. but I guess that's my regret. I feel like the next time I meet some of these people, I should try and carry on a conversation if that makes sense. But I guess that the only true time I felt that starstruck feeling is going to the track for the first time. Because the first time I was at Atona was 2013, the Bud shootout, and I was in fifth grade. And I remember that was the last week when you could stand right by the fence before the Larson incident happened a few days later. And I remember grabbing onto the fence and seeing the cars come by right under me. And I was thinking, wow, this is way different than it is on TV. This is completely addicting. And whatever it is, I want more of it. So... That year, I had the same feeling at IndyCar Pocono that year. Um, seeing cars go that fast right in front of you, nothing really prepares you for it until you're there. So, Yeah, and uh, I would say just to add on to that, if you've never been to a live event, if you've got people that you want to get into NASCAR that have never been to a live event, the only way that you're going to do it is if you take them to a live event because even yeah. a – a bummer of a race is 15 times better live than it is, you know, from the TV screen. Absolutely. And I guess my mom is kind of the same way. I mean, she's not really what I would picture as a race fan. She's never really been too passionate about cars. She's never really been too passionate about some of that stuff. But I convinced her because I always go to the July Daytona race every year with my dad and I convinced her, in the fall of 2017, I was thinking, you know, let's, let's go to the, let's go to the Daytona 500 weekend in 2018. So we went to, you know, I started like, okay, we'll go to the Xfinity and we'll go to the 500. So we bought tickets for that. And I remember she kind of left with a different expectation because she always watched races with me on TV growing up. And when she saw in person, she's like, wow, you know, that was, you know, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the sport, but I and I really enjoyed being at the track and seeing this in person. So now it's going on. This is going to be the fourth year going to the 500 weekend. And now we go all three days for trucks, Xfinity, and Cup. So I think it's just an example of what happens when you take someone to a race. Well, I think, I mean, as humans, we just kind of connect to live events as well. Because myself, I'm not really a big baseball fan i can't stand watching it on tv but i've been to plenty of braves games and they're just as fun to me as as any other live event um of course standing next to the fence or on a flag stand um at a motorsports event's a little bit different but uh i'm gonna hold my passion to a higher regard and i'm sure people who go to baseball games and that's their passion feel the same way as i do when i'm at the racetrack um so, I mean, we've got plenty of stuff that we can talk about. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of interesting facts you want to talk about. Um, and I know that I have a lot of interesting facts about myself. Um, so, you know, say something fun or something wild about yourself. Okay. Yeah, so I've got a couple of tidbits about my personality. Um, I guess the first one would probably be that I was really, really well-known on Reddit a few years ago. If you were on Reddit between 2016 and 2018, 
you've probably heard the name. It's Denny Time 11. Oh, yeah. A lot of people hated yeah. you, too. I yeah, I was really infamous for whatever reason because I liked the genre that not many people liked. And I was rather passionate about it. So, that, I mean, it obviously resulted in me getting banned and then getting unbanned. But all in all, it was quite the experience. I probably shouldn't have been on Reddit when I was 14. Um, definitely, definitely should have known better. But through it, I met a lot of people. I formed a lot of odd friendships that I never would have formed without it. So all in all, I'm pretty grateful that I did that. Oh, yeah. I don't know what made me decide to create accounts. Like, ah, okay, let's just create an account now. And obviously, I've personalities kind of mellowed out since then. But it's interesting knowing that, you know, you could go on the sub and people still joke about me. I'm like, wow, it's like, I, is that really that well-known? Yeah, you kind of made a lasting impact, and of course, that's yeah. that's how we found each other. So, mm-hmm. I I followed you on Twitter, you know, during that time. I guess maybe a little bit after you got banned was probably uh, when we started following each other on Twitter. We've had plenty of interaction since then. Um, and then, you know, what was it? Four weeks ago, I uh, approached you on this project, and I'm glad to have found someone just as passionate as me. Um, through that so even though you were kind of you know excuse my language a little shit to a lot of people you know back then i think mm-hmm. it's worked out pretty well no it definitely has because i think at some point even during that little span when i was on there people always knew me okay yeah you know this this kid's obsessed with denny hamlin and i hate denny hamlin so i don't like that kid but they still realize like okay yeah maybe this kid really is passionate about racing and you know i didn't necessarily post a lot of interesting content beyond just um, generating discussion, but I remember people like, you know, maybe maybe this kid does actually really like the sport. So it's like for all the, the odd people that are on there and all the bad takes that are laughable to look at, it's like there are people on there that are similar to us. Yeah, part of the reason that we kind of came up with the concept and, and made this uh, podcast is that we want to hear from those people. You know, there's plenty of those people out there and we'd love to have them. Uh, if that's you that's listening right now, we'd love to have you either on the podcast by, um, you know, tweeting us with ideas about what we should talk about, or even, you know, come and join us for a session to record. And, you know, Nathan and I, we, we could probably sit here and talk with you forever about racing. So, you know, if you want to do that, just hit us up on Twitter. Uh, it's at FanFuelPodcast1. Um, but I guess moving along just a little bit, uh, I know... Yeah, I forgot to ask you about your weird... Some Give me one of your uh, one of your many weird facts. Obviously, um, you know, basically, um, I'm just an adrenaline junkie. And um, so for my 18th birthday... Um, I said what I wanted to do is I wanted to go skydiving. So we did that. Um, It was really kind of a neat experience. It was kind of the height of adrenaline. And, you know, prior to that, I was going to Six Flags, riding roller coasters, been to Bush Gardens, done all this this cool stuff, been on the flag stand with my dad, been on the flag stand by myself, gone to a couple concerts by then. And, you know, something changed when we rolled out of that plane 
and I just started feeling like I was floating, but the earth was coming really fast at my face. Um, and it was kind of the most surreal thing that I've ever done. And it was really crazy. And my heart started thumping and it was probably the most fun I've ever had. Um, so there's that. And then a little bit later in life when I was doing my undergrad stuff and I was doing a little bit of, um, the research classes, um, I got the ability to tag sharks, uh, in one of my classes. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's rather interesting activity to say the least. Yeah. So it was like animal planet in real life. Um, mm -hmm. one of the coolest things I've ever done. Um, I know probably people listening have probably went fishing. They probably even caught a shark or two if they've been. Yeah. I remember fishing. catching a couple like black tip sharks when I was really little and whatnot because my dad's still into fishing and he's never he's never stopped that so yeah i just remember this one time we we pull up a massive a massive bull shark and it was probably the coolest thing i ever got to do i was on the deck at that time we pulled it up and and you know the professor is going about all right this is this is a bull shark and you know this is what the skin looks like and what we're going to do is I'm going to have one of you take a sample of the blood and all this and all that. And, and so that was a really cool experience. And I got to tag a bunch of uh, Atlantic sharp nose and stuff like that. So that's pretty much some of the coolest things I've ever done that are kind of weird. Um, I noticed that there's also uh, an anatomical trait that we both have. I don't know if you want yeah, me to bring that up is, or uh, you do, but this is really weird. Oh yeah, This is definitely the best um, unplanned fact that we had obviously the fact that we're both left-handed you know what are the odds of that i don't know um i i told you this you know when you told me that you were left-handed i was like you know i am too and we're both denny hamlin fans but the freakish thing about it is one of my friends from high school Bo, is also left-handed and also a denny hamlin fan and he and I were both at the Atlanta, at the uh, Avacare 500 in 2011 to see Denny win, and so it's crazy. How are this? How how are we? How are we like that? How are we, I, I Denny Hamlin well, fans and left-handed. At least for me, it's biological because my uh, my mom grew up in Vietnam, and obviously at that point, being left-handed is frowned upon for whatever reason. I never understood why, but so she she kind of got out of the habit of writing with her left hand. She's ever since then, she's written primarily with her right hand, but the genetic trait was passed down to me when I was born in the sense that I've always grown up writing with my left hand. And since, you know, growing up here, I've never really had the experience that my mom went through where it's being frowned upon and whatnot. So I guess I'm pretty much, what would have happened to my mom if she grew up in an area where it was considered normal? Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I don't think anyone in my family is left-handed, but I do have distinct memories of my grandmother before she passed telling me that when I was a baby and I picked up stuff with my left hand, she would always slap my hand and put it yeah. in my right hand, <laughs> and I would just put it back in my left hand, so eventually she gave up. So that's interesting. I, I didn't really know that some cultures maybe – yeah, it's really odd. I mean, I don't know whether it's superstition or religion or whatnot, but I guess that's kind of been the story of uh, why my mom does not write with her left hand despite 
by birth being a lefty, she just acquired the habit of writing with her left or with her right hand. But whatever genetics caused me to be like that, they they still made themselves. They made their way to me. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Uh, I don't think I could learn to write right handed. I could not either. But I guess yeah. at that point it just became habit. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know. It's crazy. I don't understand how we both wound up to be left handed and Denny Hamlin fans. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to do a little survey and see how many. Denny Hamlin fans are actually left-handed or if it's just the two of us uh, and my friend I mentioned uh, before but I guess moving along um, is there anything else kind of fun about you that you would like to tell everybody yeah there's a lot of a lot of weird traits that I have that aren't really associated with me based on what people assume from my Twitter profile and everything um you probably wouldn't assume that I went from fifth grade to 10th grade without racing a single go-kart of any kind for a very, very odd reason that I remember vividly. And looking back on it now, I was like, man, I was really stupid back then. But I remember the first time I was in the, um, the full-on adult spec rental cart. I remember the first time I raced it. I was probably fourth grade at that time. I was really, really small kid, and I just barely met the height requirement. I remember being really pumped up by it. So I got on the cart. I was racing probably 20 or 30-year-olds, just by the looks of it. And I I mean, I was – I felt like in the car, I was like – I felt like I'm, I'm beating them like a drum. And, you know, every – I made my way through all the traffic, and I felt like, I, like okay, I'm, I'm going to set a time that's going to be enough to get me the, the overall win. And, I hit, I don't know what it was in the indoor track, but I hit some sort of rut in the concrete. And this is where I really, I, I really like had a deer in the headlights moment where I was like, if I lift here, I can just save it and keep going. But for whatever reason, I didn't lift. I kept the wheel turned at the exact angle. I didn't make any effort to correct it. It's like I had some sort of mental mock-up and I just drove straight into the wall and I don't, I don't know. The full speed on those was probably like 45 or 50 indoors. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't that bad, but I went underneath the tech pro barrier and it was up to about my neck. And I remember, I remember not being able to restart the cart and I was thinking, you know, shoot, I really, I really made a joke out of myself here. So I got stuck. The one of the officials got me out from inside the wall I kept going, but they didn't realize that I had a broken suspension. Like, the entire suspension arm was just bent at an odd angle, and the wheel was really cambered. So I finished the rest of the race kind of having to to hold the hold the arm in place at times and, until I got back up to speed. And I still finished respectably, but I'm like, man, I really I threw away a win. And then on top of that, I was like, I... I was kind of shell-shocked as a kid. I'm like, okay, maybe this stuff is dangerous. I mean, I was perfectly fine. I just had a bunch of... entire leg was, like, black from all the rubber marks and the marbles that were on the wall. But I remember after that, for whatever reason, like, I was almost spooked to get back into a cart, and I never... I guess I kind of fell out of rental karting, and then 
didn't get back into it until probably my, yeah, I'd probably say my sophomore year of high school. So that was really strange. Never understood it, but looking back on it, I was like, man, I'm really stupid to just get out of racing for reasons like that. So, I mean, was it, was it a thing where you were just scared because you I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess, I mean, I realized it's like, whoa, this, this is dangerous now. You know, there's, you know, there's, it's not just playing around, but I guess the moment I got back into a cart, I went to the same track with a uh, family was in town and I suggested, Hey, maybe we can go to the rental cart track that I used to go to, you know, that's pretty fun. And I got back into the go-kart and I was like, man, this is really, really fun. And I was like, why, why was I, you know, why, why was I even scared of this in the first place? You know, this is amazing. So I guess no one would really assume that for me as a person who's so obsessed with it now. But yeah, I'm kind of a late bloomer in that sense. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Uh, I had a similar sort of experience when I was on the flag stand. I can't remember what year it was. My dad was not at the track. It was me on the flag stand by myself and two cars crash under me and something hits the plexiglass and then I hear something fly behind me and I look to the side during the red flag and there's a hole in the plexiglass so I kind of had a near-death experience and I just shrugged it off so I don't know you know listening to you kind of say that I don't know it's kind of interesting that we sort of went through something similar of course i don't know if yours would maybe say near death i don't know how close no, of mine no was i mean i didn't even have i literally didn't have a scratch on me except for having rubber all over my leg oh well, i have another story about something dealing with that too mm-hmm. uh i'll i'll just go out and say it. i'm a bit clumsy i was um running up the stairs um at at another racetrack that my dad and i have worked at together and I get to the top of the flag stand and the step to the top of the flag stand is different because the set of stairs are not really connected to it and then there's a metal grate with kind of teeth on it it's gonna be good and yeah it's gonna be good and so I'm running up the stairs because I need to get back on the flag stand because we got a race about to start well I know that there's a big gap I know that the the tread's going to change because I'm going to go from having a little bit less grip to a lot of grip. And I pick my foot up and I miss the flag stand. And that foot slipped and those teeth on that grate tore all the skin off of my shin. And I didn't say a word. I was sitting up there, blood pouring down my leg. I you know, was holding in the, the pain and just let the race happen. And at the end of the night, I looked down. It was caked in rubber. It was caked in dirt. And it was caked in mud or uh, oil. And so I guess that sealed it up. The bleeding had stopped by then. And then I, when I got home, it was just a bunch of, you know, it looked like a bunch of scratches and chunks of skin missing um, when I took a shower. So, yeah. I guess, um, yeah, I guess I kind of have another experience like that. Um First time I went to GoPro Motorplex when I was um, just finishing my junior year of high school, summer 2019. I remember that was the first time in an outdoor cart, and I got into the cart for one of the races, and 
I guess this is this is actually where another one of my weird facts comes in that I'll work into this. I got into the cart thinking, okay, I can just put my hands on both sides of the cart and slide in. And not knowing that to get into the carts, you have to grab the steering wheel before you sit down. And I didn't do that. So my hand went straight on one of the parts of the engine that was exposed. I don't know whether it was the exhaust or whether it was just the engine cover itself, but I don't know. I touched the metal and I was like, you know, like, okay, this is, this is a little hot. So I, you know, I realized, and it took me a couple of seconds. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get burned if I don't take my hand off this thing. So I take my hand off and one of my fingers, I think it was the ring finger. I want to say, yeah, it's a ring finger looking at it right now. Um, there was a giant like blister on it. And I was like, I knew it was a burn. I was like, I'd never been burned before. But I was like, this is really, really weird. So I kind of shrugged it off. And I was thinking, you know, I could probably, the race is about to start. And, you know, I could, I could just go in and just pour some water on it. But then I'd miss the race. And I was thinking, you know, I didn't fly this far just to miss a race. So I figured I'll just stay in and see what happens. And, Little did I know, I was poking and prodding at it to see because I never really understood this scenario before. And whatever blister it was kind of opened up, and I was thinking, oh, come on. I really, really screwed myself now. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, there's, no. like, there's all sorts of just I, – I don't know how deep it went. I would assume – when I got back to the hotel, I realized probably second degree, maybe. It wasn't necessarily the size of the burn that was bad. It was just the, the thickness of it. But I kept racing, even though whatever blister it was was open. Like, I guess you classify it as a wound now. And I remember kind of painful because the wind, when I was driving, I didn't have gloves. And it's like the wind was rushing into it. So I was thinking, man, this is like, it doesn't necessarily feel pleasant. But I guess I just kept racing and got out of the, the race um once i got back into the tent or whatever it was they had some sort of um some sort of first aid kit i went in there grabbed some uh grabbed some of that ointment that i put on there and i kept racing didn't really uh didn't really touch it for the rest of the day until i got back and then i realized i was like mom like is you, you see this thing on my uh, finger and then she's like yeah that was that was second degree so i was thinking okay it probably wasn't wise to keep racing with it with the open wound and there's like rubber getting in it and whatnot but i mean i guess it's the same way it's like if you like something enough then you're not going to care about minor setbacks yeah and i guess adrenaline steps in too but uh, i mean i wasn't expecting you to to tell a story about when you pulled your dale jr and uh and kept racing on a hand injury, you know, like he did yeah, at Talladega. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. Wheel. I remember, um, and on top of that, that's the other weird fact, I guess, that comes in about me, is that in that race, um, there was somebody by the name of Bobby Dale Earnhardt, and I did not necessarily know who that was. I didn't know if that was the Bobby Dale Earnhardt that makes a few Xfinity starts on occasion. But he had a distinctive look. He had like a beard. And I was thinking, you know, maybe that is him. I don't know. You know, I don't know how many people in Mooresville race there that often, people in the sport. But if that was actually him, I 
I mean, I beat the brakes off of him. Like, I'm just going to say it straight up. I was probably three or four seconds a lap quicker. And that was with a significant weight disadvantage. Because at the time, I was 220 pounds, which is pretty big for someone who's 5'7". And, you know, I, I was like, wow, okay, that I think that might have actually been one of Dale Jr.'s relatives and a part-time speed driver. So I was thinking, okay, maybe maybe I'm better at this than I thought I was. And then I got back and I sent a tweet and I was, I, I mentioned him. I was like, is, were you at, were you at GoPro Motorplex today? Cause I remember I might've raced you and he denies that he's like, no, but maybe my brother Jeffrey was there. And that's some, that's some of my friends are still teasing about it. Like, Oh, maybe you beat him so bad that he didn't want to, didn't want to admit it after he announced a new sponsorship. That's funny. It's just an odd story. I need to try and crowdfund you an Xfinity ride. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'd be sure in a stock car, but to be honest with you, that was just a, just a random experience that I had. And I'm sure, I'm sure you've got random shenanigans stories in racing that you'd like to tell as well. Yeah. Well, of course, but I haven't done any racing of my own, but, um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I had the near death experience there, uh, when I was a kid, I, I had a near-death experience as well. I was at Rome Speedway in Rome, Georgia, and, and uh, one of the banger cars they were racing, I was watching from the turns one and two fence. It, they touched or something, and one of them rode the fence, and I had the rocks and all kind of stuff flying at me, and mom screaming from the other side of the, the area we were at. Thought we were, you know, I was going to get hit, and it was a whole thing. Um but I mean, that's, that's kind of it. That's all it's hitting off the top of my head when it comes to interesting things at racing yeah. events. Um, I guess, uh, I guess another interesting thing about me is um, I was born on the greatest day of racing in 1995. Um, so I kind of pride myself on that. And really, so you're born what Memorial Day weekend around there? Yeah, Memorial Day weekend um, in '95, and you know I always joke about I came early enough so that I could watch all three races because I was due a couple days later. Right. And and so if you look at a calendar, you know my birthday usually falls on race day every 11 years. So when I was 11 years old, I asked my parents to take me to the Coke 600. And so we went to the Coke 600 on my 11th birthday and it was cool and, and it was really cool. I don't really remember too much um, about it, to be honest with you, because I've had, a, I'm assuming a concussion since then, uh, another story for another day as well. Um, and then when I was 22, um, we planned on going to the Indy 500 and we did. So I guess this does kind of lead into an act track experience. Uh, going to the Mecca of Speed, Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway, is an experience I don't think I'll ever have again of that first time being there. It was absolutely insane. Um, and the race, it was 2017, the last Aero Kit Indy 500, passing everywhere. One of the best races that I've seen, even though I can only see part of the track because Indy has very terrible sight lines. Um, it was it was amazing. Um, so that's that's basically the biggest factoid I have of myself. Uh, and mm -hmm. you know, when I'm turning 33, Monaco GP, I'm coming for you. 
I, that would be a great experience. That's another bucket list item I had. But I guess to keep things on the topic of lighthearted shenanigans at racetracks, um, this past this past August was quite interesting. Um, well, not July. Correct that, July. We went to Charlotte after I did that BMW performance driving school, and someone I knew from Reddit and Twitter who I've got to know even more through playing Xbox every other week, but I got to know this guy and I'll name drop him if he doesn't mind. Um, Emil Borchert on Twitter. That's the guy I've gotten to know. And he's rather famous on Reddit as well because he was the guy that started the KBM to cup rumor. Um, that was a complete troll job, but it was hilarious in hindsight seeing how many people ate it up. And we met there because he had a he was doing a similar racing school with Ford in Charlotte, and we even stayed at the same hotel. And one of the days we had all planned to go to the team shops again, but with COVID happening, they were all closed. So we went to GoPro, and there was a deal where you could do ten races for like 100 or 200 bucks. And I'm like, yeah, well, we should we should both do that. So we we did ten races a piece. It was middle of the afternoon it was july 100 degrees out and it took us maybe four hours to do all the races but toward the end one of the more humorous shenanigans i had was that i do remember there were a lot of people turned up to watch the rental races which usually never happens for whatever reason but there was like a whole crowd of people there so i was thinking okay this is, this is completely different than what I'm used to. And I remember it was like, you know, this there's some uh there's girls there and I was like, you know what, maybe I should maybe I should flex a little bit. So I me being me in the clumsy, awkward self decides to try and pass somebody on the inside of turn one, which is not a good place to pass. And I lunch from maybe thirty or forty feet back, try to get in there way too deep into the corner, bounce off the other cart, spin. I kept going and I won the race, but I I mean I got mercilessly teased by some of my friends. I'm like you really you really tried to impress somebody and you spun yourself out. And I was like, okay. well, yeah, I don't care. I won the race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you might have you might have done a you know a dumb move going into one, but I mean you hit the spin to win. Like how right. Like I still set, crazy. I still set the winning lap time so I'm like I'm fine, you know. I was, but I was like, yep, yeah, I'm still the kid that spun out trying to press girl, so. Okay, so you said you had the, you had the winning lap time, so. Yeah, they do, like, they score, most rental cart races are scored by lap time, so there was a cart in front of me that was a little bit slower than I was, and I was kind of sick and tired of getting held up, because what I would try to do is, if I was getting held up in the corners that I had an advantage in, I would kind of lay off a couple seconds on the back stretch, give myself some space to set a good time so that I'm not having to check up in the middle of corners. But I was on the front stretch with a whole crowd of people watching and I was like, you know what? I wanna I wanna see what happens. I wanna I wanna pull off an ultimate flex and get somebody on the inside of turn one, which is usually not what I'm good at. I usually like the outside of turn one there. And obviously ended pretty poorly. I spun out. I still, I still got the best lap time, so it didn't really matter in the end. But 
still, it's something that I'm going to get teased at or teased at for eternity, you know, being the kid that spun out trying to impress a girl. So. Hey, I mean, if you don't have funny stories like that, you're not really yeah, living too much. Absolutely you know? hilarious. I mean, I'm 10 out of 10. I'll do it again. Well, speaking of 10 out of 10, um, 10 races. How was that? And you said it was in the middle of July. So exactly, yeah. you know, were you feeling a burnout going in? Did the adrenaline help every time you got in the cart? You know, well, I mean, I, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I drank a ton of water leading up to that race. And I remember I drank, I didn't drink enough the night before. And then I kind of realized that when I was, the hotel was about 30 minutes away. So I chugged a few bottles of water in the car just so I could, you know, I was like, okay, I'm, I, I just want to make sure I'm not completely running on empty when it comes to hydration. And, you know, I waited for uh, Borchard to get there. We both got there. We signed in for 10 races. And it was, I mean, it was hot as balls. Oh, my God. There was not a, there was not a cloud in the sky for a long time. But we didn't necessarily feel it when we were racing. It was only when we stopped that was bad because then when there's no breeze blowing on you from the speed that you're going in the cart, like then you realize, okay, you got a helmet on, you got a head sock, you got a neck collar, cotton shirt, it's 100 degrees out. And I'm like, oh my God, like it is really, really freaking hot. And then obviously as the day went on, the physical wear got more than just heat because we were, you know, you know, having to bounce over the curbs and whatnot. It's like, man, like, you know, your neck's getting sore, your back's getting sore, your your arms are getting a little bit sore from gripping the wheel so tight, and which I guess that that leads into something that I was really glad that I did. And you know, if I was as in as poor a shape as I was a few years ago, I don't think I would have been able to do all the ten races. And I found it interesting because the first time at GoPro, I did four or five races. I was, you know, I was 220 pounds, like all fat. And this year, then the year after that, I went up there, which was 2020. I was, you know, I was probably about 180 pounds, 175, because I had started, you know, exercising, working out. And doing that, I was like, that might have bailed me out. Like, if I didn't start taking my fitness seriously, I, there was no way I would have finished those races because. You know, my friend that I mentioned, he's in a little bit better shape than I am, physically speaking, but I actually outlasted him physically. Like, he was getting more tired than I was, and I was surprised. I was like, you know, maybe I have that that Tony Stewart gene in me to where I might not be in the best physical shape, but I seem to make up for it. Yeah, I don't know. It might be an adrenaline thing, too. I mean, yeah. some people can just work off adrenaline for hours and hours on end, but they have such a long recuperation time, it kind of hurts them after right. the fact. I remember we went back to the hotel, and I was like, man, I'm beat. So I took a Tylenol, and I, I played Xbox with him over his room, and I was, you know, I I was, it took me about a day and a half, maybe, to, to get the soreness or whatever it was gone. But, like, I, I was thanking my lucky stars that I had started to take my fitness more seriously because knowing that now it's like it's better to have it not need it than it is to need it not have it i'm gonna leave that one with a no comment <laughs> um <laughs> i mean like i said i mean it i 
I'm not really perfect myself. I'm not exactly a model of athleticism because I went from, you know, I went from 220 pounds, like really, really overweight for my, for my stature, five, seven. And then, you know, I, from December, 2019 to July, 2020, I went from 220 to 175, which was a ton. And then college hit. That was, that's the fun part. And I went, now I'm about 190. So I'm like, yeah, that freshman, I'm like, shoot. Yeah. I was like, shoot. I really screwed up. And it's like that freshman 15. I, I remember joking with my mom. I was like, ah, there's no way it's going to hit me. I already lost this weight. Sure enough. It hit me. And you got it off once you can probably get it off again. Yeah. The only thing is, I guess it's harder to do it now because, because it's easier to go from no workout to workout routine and drop a bunch of weight. But then when you regain it, it's like you talk about your body is getting more and more used to walking, you know, a certain number of miles every day. So now it might still work. It just takes a longer time to do so. The weight where I was before I left for college was 175. So I was like, I want to get there by the end of March. I could do it. It's just, it's not going to be like where it was in the summer where I can lose five pounds in a week. You know, it's going to be a lot more gradual this time around. Yeah. Well, I'm sure being at the 500 this week is going to help because you're probably going to do a lot of walking and then you're also in Florida. So the summer's going to be coming up. And I know if I was down there, I'd be sweating five pounds a day. Yeah. So. That's, I guess that's why I'm thankful to be in a gym because <laughs> I walk, I mean, hell today I've walked I don't know, I walked like six miles on a treadmill and then I did another eight miles on a bike and I was thinking, you know, I need to, like, I, gotta, I gotta do like, I'm trying to do like two hours of cardio every day so I can make up for what I eat in Daytona because I know I'm going to be eating a bunch of junk. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? It's like, yeah. if you got a goal by the end of the month to be at a certain, certain point and I, obviously I know that being at the racetrack is going to interfere with it because of the food and concessions. So I figured, you know, so, yeah, that's another odd quirk about me. Um, yeah, I guess I kind of had an odd obsession with fitness now that I got into it. About, kind of by chance, I remember one day after school, I'm like, you know, I just want to walk outside. I'm kind of bored. Weather's nice. And that turned into walking a couple miles a day, three miles a day, four miles a day. Then I was at like six miles a day, and that's kind of where I stagnated. I just get on the treadmill and walk for an hour and a half. And it's it's honestly – Kind of the hard part is that now that my body's so used to it, it's hard to lose weight when your body's so accustomed to your routine. Yeah, well, hopefully we can all uh, get in better shape. I know I do because uh, that whole round is a shape option is starting to wear on me. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely wearing on me too because like I bought a bunch of new clothes and a smaller size, and now I'm not able to fit into them. Like, man, it's like man, it really sucks. I was like, you know having been 175 pounds before I left for college and being 190 pounds now, it makes me realize that, you know, I gotta, I gotta be a lot more consistent. I'm like, if I can exercise every day and be really consistent in that regard, but if I don't eat right, that's what's going to kill me. So I guess um, the goal is to be 175 by the end of maybe March or April. So it's like, it's going to take a lot longer than it did at first, but it's just, it's just the diet. And I know that Daytona is going to be not so good for that because I'm going to be eating, you know, chicken wings and concessions literally the entire time. And 
I gotta step up because if I'm gonna be racing carts, this is not a this is not where I want to be. All right, guys. Well, that was a good show. I hope you've learned a little bit about uh, Nathan and I, and you know, we want to learn a little bit about you as well. So, uh, this last segment that we're gonna do is gonna be about bucket list items, stuff that we want to do. You know, before we kick that bucket. Um, so, what do you guys want to do? Uh, first and foremost, I'll ask Nathan. What are some things that you want to do in your okay, life? Okay, well, I guess in terms of racing itself, I would probably say that previous fitness goal that I talked about of kicking this freshman 15 is a big bucket list item right now that I can do in the near future. Because it's like going from 175 pounds to having all that work come undone, being 193 to three pounds kind of sucks. So it's like I want to work that off, get into the shape I was in last summer. And for obvious reasons being racing, um, I want to get into good shape so that I can uh, race any kind of cart that I want to race once I get into quicker race prep carts. And then uh, on top of that, when it comes to cars, I kind of want to do another track day, whether it's this year or next year. I don't know what opportunities I'm going to have to do that because how expensive it is, but I just want to be able to drive a, a sports car of some sort on a track this year because as someone who doesn't necessarily have a lot of opportunities to race, I just want to be able to drive for fun at least once a year because it helps me learn more about racing and feeling a car underneath me. I think that there are things that are going to help me turn it into a lifelong hobby. So those are probably my two uh, in-person racing bucket list items that I have for now. Yeah, well, I can I can see where, you know, chopping off a bit of weight and being more physically fit should be something that you you would want to do, especially if you're going to be uh, a little bit crazy and go try and run 10 races in a day in the middle of July if you're never going to do that again. Yeah, I just think it's necessary because karting in general, it's like I haven't driven a race prep kart yet, but I, I get one, get into one this fall. And people tell me, you know, look, these carts are they're more physically demanding than most race cars that you'll drive. And I found that the same with the rental car that I drove at GoPro is more physically demanding than driving the GT3RS or whatever it was in the fall. So it's like, I, I definitely see where they're coming from. And if that mean if I can change the composition of my body from less fat, more muscle, then I'll definitely go for it. Yeah. Well, you know, this is our podcast, so we can, kind of steer our direction whichever we want so let's you know let's look forward to talking about that in the future hopefully you get some of these opportunities and uh we'll cover them on here so that everyone else can you know feel what you feel inside of a race cart or a you know supercar and uh you know hopefully we we get to hear you say that by the end of this year if not you know the near future uh, yeah hopefully so because I got such a long way to go. I'm just a, I'm just an amateur at this point. I can't consider myself, you know, like a, some sort of prodigy. I'm just doing it for fun, you know. So with that being said, do you have any bucket list items when it comes to, you know, whether you're attending races, whether you're doing things at the racetrack, whether it's officiating or whatnot, do you have any bucket list items? Because I know for sure I have a couple that I'll mention afterwards when it comes to attending races. Yeah, well, I mean, as far as attending races, um, 
you know, something that you're going to do this weekend, the Daytona 500 is and should be on every NASCAR fan's oh, yeah. bucket list. Um, being that I come from a dirt car world, um, I'm not really uh, in an area where um, we have open wheel cars uh, for dirt, but I'd love to go to the Chili Bowl. That would that would be something that I, I would like to do, especially, you know, with my dad, because we've been talking about that for quite some time. Um, other than that, my past experience, you know, this past uh, weekend before last was the Rolex 24. I'd like to go to Le Mans now. Like, I've got an itch and I need to scratch it. I want to go to Le Mans now just to see that race. Um, as far as officiating goes, um, not really. The closest thing to officiating is I would love to be a NASCAR spotter at some point in my life. No idea if that's achievable at all. But that's something that I would I would love to do, and that's on my bucket list. Well, yeah, I think those are great bucket list items, and I guess to um, to hop onto the bandwagon, you're talking about about a 500. You will not regret going to that race. I mean, it is one of the best events to attend in the world. I don't I don't think I realize how lucky I am to attend it every year since 2018. It's 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 an event that I think. Having you having been to other marquee events, you'll realize the magnitude of it quicker than I have because I'm kind of spoiled in the fact that Daytona is my home track and most people can't say that. Yeah, well, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Nowhere in the plans for the future uh, as far as, uh, you know, this week um, or maybe even not next year. It's something I'm shooting for. Um, is there any other races that you would you would like to attend? Yeah, um, there are two in particular right now that are like, I don't know how soon they're attainable, but they're they're on the list at the top. And I I would say any 500 within the next five years is a huge goal of mine for me and my dad to go see that race. Um, Monaco, obviously not done in the next five years unless my family really decides they want to spend a bunch of money. So, yeah, well, I'm there with you. Uh, I, I, I have a ticking clock to get to my 33rd birthday and that's that's i want to say oh, yeah. i can't i can't count i think it's eight years away right now so, yeah still, you, get, you get a while but get a little i bit. hope that i can i hope that i can do that in maybe my 40s or 50s or something just to be able to to go over there and buy one of those f1 experiences that they advertise where you can kind of watch the weekend events from a yacht or something like that that would be a oh that, that would be, be insane absolute experience and Another one, I guess, the last one I was talking about, obviously, Rolex, Sebring, those are all on my list, too, but um, something I have on the list is Road America next year in the Cup Series, Xfinity Series weekend. I would love to go to that track because there's a lot of, um, there's nice nature around there, like Elkhart Lake and hiking trails. You can rent a boat or something like that, and so that kind of gives you an incentive to stay up there for a week and not just for the race weekend. And then on top of that, a couple of friends and I from Twitter talked about that. And one of the friends I know, the one, same one I met in Charlotte, actually talked about wanting to go to that race in 2022. We figured that me and a couple of friends from Twitter would all meet up at Road America in 2022 and stay there for the race weekend. We could rent a golf cart and just bring some lawn chairs and enjoy the races. I think that's going to be, it's attainable. I just 
I want to lock down the plane as soon as I can because that would probably be a once in a lifetime experience. Oh yeah, and then going with a bunch of people that you've you've met. Uh, yeah, especially on Twitter, well. it's like, like what are the odds of this? You know, that'd be really cool to, like, to actual to form actual friendships from Twitter is something that I never would have expected. So, especially going to races with friends, it's like I'm usually just me and my dad going to races, spend time. It's kind of a relaxing activity, but it's like the opportunity to be able to do it with, you know, two or three of us and. You know, with two or three more of us, it'll be really cool, I think, to to all be able to experience the same thing. And we already know each other. So I think forming a real-life connection over that is something that probably can't be taken for granted. Hopefully, uh, you know, we can do the same at some point with a race. I yeah. know I've never actually had the, uh, the uh, I guess, experience of camping or anything like that. The Rolex was the closest thing I got, but we just took, you know, our Chevy Equinox down there. So we didn't have a fire. We weren't grilling. We weren't, right. you know, you know we, we didn't have a cooler with anything but water in it. So, I mean, you know, that's something that's kind of on my bucket list too is, is getting a group of, of guys together and going to one of these events. And so, yeah, I don't know. Cool. Migrating North seems to be something that we've done before. I've went to the Indy 500. You went to Pocono to see Indy cars. You know, who knows? Mm -hmm. Road America is not too far. Uh, no, to yeah, that's a great idea because that would be, say, as of now, the plan is just me, my dad, and then two of my uh, friends that I know from Twitter. So, yeah, there's definitely uh, – you can definitely make this bigger. Um, just depends on how many people want to meet up and for how long because, you know, if we all plan this – in advance far enough we can all stay at the same hotel and whatnot and be able to do the same things away from the track whether it's you know outdoor activities or you know sitting by a bonfire there's a lot of fun things that could be done with this outside of just racing oh yeah definitely especially like you said at road america which is such a beautiful place not to mention there's a racetrack on on top of it so well I think that's going to about wrap things up. Um, of course, get in on the conversation at our Twitter at FanFuelPodcast1. Uh, and just let us know what your bucket list items are. For racing, for not racing, if one of your bucket list items is to do what I did when I turned 18 and go skydiving, you know, throw that in there too. We want to hear from you guys and we'll, we'll start featuring you uh, as soon as we can. So just... um. If you want to engage with us, just follow our uh, main Twitter account. Follow our personal Twitter accounts. Um, we're going to be on there as soon as it drops. So just um, hit us up if you want to interact. And like we said, if you ever want to be featured on this show, just um, just go ahead. And once we're um, once we're a little more established, I think we can easily do that because seeing how today's episode went, we got to know each other pretty well. So we could happily do the same to get to know you if you wanted to come on the show. Absolutely. And uh, our format going forward is basically we want to have sort of a topic to, to go off of. It's not really the weekend before the weekend after. So if you have something that you want to talk about, be, you know, be sure to let us know and we might even feature you in the episode. In fact, we probably mm -hmm. encourage you to come on here and talk about it as well. So with that being said, thanks for listening and we will see you next time.